so when you look at, you know, all of the conspiracy theories that are happening right now, they sort of all are centered around this idea that somebody is, is out to get us or the government is out to control us or something like that. says which countries it's like u.s asia and so it's it's one of those things that i think as soon as you go a little deeper than surface level it's been hard to find info right so the next thing you would do is go into the archives right so like in um she in her foundation that she has i, I was looking at that website i think they have I, I don't know if you can access it all online or i'm sure you probably can do most of it but that would be where you would go to the deepest point to see yeah. if she has, you know, and again, you might want to, if from your perspective, taking it from a grain of salt, it's like, all right, these are her diary entries. These are her, her stories, but, but maybe her companions also wrote yeah. documentation of where they were. And maybe there's photos in those archives and things like that. So that's what the purpose of those archive mm-hmm. things are like, you know, at universities and all these different libraries, and you can literally go to the ultimate original source. Yeah. So part one, we will have our Psychology of Conspiracy with our guest, Mr. Sturgeon, the psychology teacher, hosted by Delaney Lawrence. Part two is our student face-off on the topic of the viral TikTok Helen Keller conspiracy Hosted by Ali Monahan and Jillian Olson. And part three, Who Can You Actually Trust? It's a segment of an interview with Miss Gillette, the A-Push teacher in Rockland High, hosted by our Julian McLean. And part four, the final, We've Heard the Experts, But Will It Change Our Behavior? Which is our roundtable discussion, hosted by me. kind of talking about conspiracies in general and if we believe in them and how they affect how we think they affect society and really the root of this whole podcast in this whole these four episodes was is Helen Keller really blind and deaf so let's just all go around and we'll start with you Ian and we'll go to Allie and me and um Jillian and Delaney, who's off the side coughing <laughs> as we Just speak. choking in the corner of the room. Um, we're going to go and say, so Ian, do you believe Helen Keller was deaf and blind? Well, I don't want to get too far into it because other people have to go. But I'm going to say yes. Because I think she was more of a student of the human condition. And the whole thing about the human mind is that it, o- it will find a way to overcome uh, any obstacles placed in front of it, and she had the help of a lot of other people, and I do think that she managed to achieve what she did. And next, we're shooting that to Allie. Speak. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my initial thought, my initial thought, because I've been conditioned, I think from a young age. Yes, I do think she's real, but I'm not completely ruling out the fact that she could have been, uh, she could have been deaf and you know partially deaf partially blind not all the way so i mean i kind of an open book right now okay personally um i'm julia if we all forgot um i think (laughs) i think that she was not all the way deaf i think she was blind i do not think she was deaf i don't i don't think she could complete all the things she did 
And I think that it was kind of a publicity stunt. Mm, right. I'll the link. Delaney, spit. <laughs> <laughs> spit some facts in the mic, moron. Okay, this mic, I literally can't hear anything. So, like... It oh, you gotta push the red button. Hello? Oh, that's so... Uh, yeah, it does. That's okay. terrible. Basically... <coughs> I have all my senses, so therefore I am privileged. Except your voice. You sound, <laughs> we- you sound weird today. I think she sounds normal. You think this is what I sound like all the time? I think she oh sounds beautiful. Sorry, okay, no, no. continue. Um, I think that even though I'm privileged and I don't understand it, there's literally no way. Like, I, I'm not just going to sit here and let people be like, yeah, no, she wrote a book. Like, huh? No. Twelve books. She wrote twelve what? books. What? Like no, that just doesn't that just doesn't sit right with me. I mean, I'm not saying that she didn't have any 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 disabilities, but definitely one of them is like not real. No way. All right, Jill. Okay, I agree with Allie. Like since a year, like I was little, I was taught Helen Keller was blind and deaf, and this is what she accomplished. I read her biography when I was in like third grade, and I did a report on her. But now that I'm thinking more about it, like, all her accomplishments that she did, just, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. I'm not turning it down, like Ali said, but I, I'm i not sure. Yeah, that's a pretty big thing, is, honestly, we were all taught from a very young age, like, elementary school. Like, this is Helen Keller, this is what she did, and, none of, and all of us were like, okay, like, I'm in elementary school, I don't really care. I'll just agree with what you're telling me. And we didn't even, I don't think so, didn't even consider the possibility that it wasn't what we were told until, what, the start of this class? Well, I think that, I don't want to go, here, I'm going to say this, and then I think we should probably go to our first question, but, like, you're always, remember in, okay, in kindergarten, we did, we used to do, like, uh, 1492 Columbus stuff, right? Yes. And they used to, like, they were like, he was the first person ever to come here, and then you found out in, like, sixth grade, he wasn't, like, it's it's kind of weird. Like I think that's the thing was we were taught something and it was never challenged until we we found something that challenged. Oh yeah, genocidal. Yeah, he's kind of a bad dude. Like the only, um, I think it was Leif Erikson, oh. like three hundred years earlier. Okay. I just want to say one last thing. Uh, also, we were not alive during that time, and also things have evolved so much since then. So maybe she really was blind and deaf. But there's also that like point of mm, conspiracizing. That's a great word. Is that, 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 that even a word? Conspiring. <laughs> Conspiring. Conspiracizing. <laughs> that should be a word. Just extra it's, steps. It we are going better. to the dictionary today. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we got through the intro. Well, the intro to the intro, I guess. Yes. <laughs> uh, Julie, you want to remind me what we're doing now? Okay. So I think our first question that I I think. I, I don't know. They were in an order that I didn't like. I think our first question should be, do you think that um, conspiracies are always harmful, or do you think that sometimes they're harmful and sometimes they're not? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Ali, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll yeah. start. Uh, to keep it short and sweet, uh, depends on the severi- severity and how you act on it. Then I think it's harmful. If, if you're going to act on it and cause violence, then yes, it's harmful. But if you're not, then no. No, me. Okay, I'll go. Go ahead, Ian. Um, I agree with Ali. It's really all about what it, the actual conspiracy is, because you can compare the, you can compare like the Michael Jackson thing. It's like oh, Michael Jackson's still alive, and then there's like Pizzagate, which I don't want to say on the mic, but it's very bad, and some ve- and a very bad person acted on that, and put a lot of people in danger by doing that. So, if your conspiracy puts others in danger, 
you might have to consider the possibility that your conspiracy is dangerous. Spitting. I'll go. Or do you want to go, Jillian? Oh, um, I agree. It depends on the severity of the conspiracy. Like right now, this is pretty harmless. We're just having a discussion about our opinion. But again, the Pizzagate thing or if we went and like burned down the Helen Keller Foundation. Exactly. <laughs> that's very harmful. If we actually were like, oh, I hate Helen Keller. She no way she was real. This history needs to be rewritten mm-hmm. and we burned something down or act chose violence, harmful. But there's definitely a spectrum. I think that it's <laughs> I think that it's always harmful. I think there's always harm um just like you know you know no matter what you do there's a consequence whether it's good or bad and i think that's absolutely the same thing i think it's either like okay i believe michael jackson is still alive now you're kind of like you're causing this like stress or like it's not it's not you know like there's good stress and bad stress just kind of this general like liquid stress in your life that you don't need and especially when they become harmful, like when people start believing things about the government or about some other country or some brand, like immediately it becomes even w- more harmful. So I think there's always harm. It's just not always visible. Um, I think that it depends on the conspiracy theory because some of them are like just really, really bad. Some of them are really, really bad. And then people are like, oh, my God, we got to go like do this and this and this but they don't and then they do it anyways and then they just get arrested and it's a whole ordeal and then there's the ones about like birds not being real or something like that i feel like that doesn't even harm anyone because what are you gonna do what are you gonna do kill all birds no they're already Maybe. dead <laughs> i think it <laughs> i think the bird I, I, yeah it's it can cause harm anyway our, i think next question our next question is um is there a spectrum? Do you think there's a spectrum for um, conspiracy theories? Like, if I had to put it, if you had to put it in maybe a spectrum that we can all look at, is do you think it's, like, not bad, super bad? Do you think it's all bad? Do you think there's super multiple bad. spectrums? There's 100% a spectrum. Like, you can't, you c- there's no way you can classify, you know, all these conspiracy theories into multiple cat just like mm-hmm. finite categories there's no yeah. way it has to be a spectrum yeah this has a lot to do with the last question talking about it's not a set in stone kind of thing like it's not a b- umbrella term conspiracy theory it's yeah. like a different a different way of thinking a different idea something that goes against the establishment and conspiracy theory believing that the government or the establishment something or someone is conspiring against the will of the people uh, yeah, again, same thing. Depends on the severity. There's 100% a spectrum for conspiracy theories. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> Short. I think that, I don't know, because I feel like spectrum and categories, because I know categories are more conformed, but mm-hmm. I feel like you could, I feel like they're all kind of similar. I don't think there's a spectrum as much as there's a list or like, Bin, um, okay, I'm like going back to freaking first grade, but like bins, like there are literally, bi- like I don't know. You could be like this one is like simple, this one is complex, this one is I don't know. I just feel like they have more like set in stone 
problems about that. Yeah, how you said more and less complex. Mm-hmm. Agree with that 100%. Yeah. If there's not a spectrum, then this world is a lie. Because you can't sit here and put Pizzagate and birds aren't real in the same bin. Hey, I agree. Hey, 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 when I'm talking about bins, obviously Pizzagate and birds are in a different bin. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not. No, it's not like someone Delaney is going. All right. Well, here's my conspiracies. Michael Jackson, birds aren't real, Pizzagate and Helen Keller. Helen Keller. All right. Well, I guess I'll put Pizzagate and Helen Keller in the same bin. No, <laughs> like it's not like I have one. It's not like I have two bins. It's just like. Okay, that was fun. Uh, glad we managed to wrap that up. <laughs> hey, I'll go on about my bins all day. <laughs> British people. Uh, no, ignore that. Terrible joke. And so... <laughs> Sorry, you have to explain that. <laughs> yeah. Real, real bins. They say bin instead of like trash. trash. Okay. Go in the bin. Oh. bin. Go put in the bin. <laughs> go throw out the bin. Go the bin. Okay. Next question. Yeah. <laughs> I think, la- I think last question. Awful accents. Our last right. question... This last question should be about what we're about to listen to or... Our last question is, I I think it was, do you, let's say you know someone and they are like. Oh, yeah. How does it affect our social interactions? How does it affect our social interactions and how does it affect you socially, emotionally? Okay, Jill's Jill's going first. (laughs) Um, uh, So basically, if I'm friends with someone and we can have open discussions about things we disagree on that are civil a hundred percent doesn't affect my friendship with them but if they're invalidating my opinion and they're constantly talking about it and we don't obviously agree with it then i'm like okay maybe we aren't gonna be compatible friends so that's my opinion but yeah (laughs) Uh, i'll go next um again like with every other question depends on the severity if you think that Britney Spears is fake and like she died a long time ago. I don't care. I I don't know. I don't care. She was being like held hostage kind of by the industry. Whatever the conspiracy theory is, whatever the conspiracy theory is, it doesn't matter. But if you believe that the world is flat and like, I don't know, the the government is, uh, if you, if it affects your life, then yeah, that might affect my relationship with you. Would you say it affects your trust or it affects just like your It affects my view on your intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what it mainly does. I would say, um, Ian, did you go? I did not. Okay, I want to hear you. Go, Ian. So kind of what Allie was saying, it would be hard for me to look past that because if I find something out about someone and I look at them, it's going to be on the front of my mind. I'm going to be like, you are a moron. If I'm just looking, like if Julia was like, the earth is flat. And I'm just like, every time I look at Julia, I'm going to be like, that's the person who thinks the earth is flat. <laughs> I, Do yeah. I really want to be around them? Do I want to be friends with them? Julia does not think the earth Julia is flat. Disclaimer, guys, not. the earth is round. I swear to God. I know. <laughs> it's a donut. Sheer, slightly oval. The earth is a dohecadedron. I believe hecadedron. in triangle supremacy. I, I believe in dohecadedron earth. Come at me. Okay, okay, guys. So <laughs> I believe. Wait, did you say dohecadedron? Yeah, it's 20 sided shape. Anyway. It was dodecahedron. No, it's dodecahedron. Whatever oh, it is. Dodec. That's 20. Dec means you 10. S- you said dohecadedron. No, yeah, it doesn't it's hexagon. matter. <laughs> that would be hexagon. <laughs> okay, that's okay, 12. That's a 12 sided shape. Anyway. This is for B sides. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is another discussion. No, anyway. So I. I would say that it affects me. I think the same thing as you said, Ian. If I see someone, 
Okay, I have a teacher who still calls, I'm not going to say who it is, they still call Russia the Soviet Union, and every time I someone says their name, I'm like, they still call, Ru- they still have this internalized hate of Russia, they still call them the Soviet Union, right? Wait, what subject do they teach? They teach history. history. <laughs> it's so funny. But um, I think it <laughs> just, I, as Ali said too, it, it really does def- mean the severity, if like that person's like, like Jill, I'm still friends with Jillian and she thinks birds are real, but like that's <laughs> that's well, swag. Also, yeah. Also, I don't talk about it. Yeah. Ever. Oh, I, you I, don't tell people it's wrong when people tell you that their opinion is the only right one. Yeah. That's when I draw the line. I kind of want to know what exactly. goes through Jill's head when she looks at a bird. <laughs> She's just like pigeons. I look at a pigeon, and I think robot. You just look at it like this. You're like, <laughs> you that's pose it. for it. You should pose for it. And be like, yeah, that's right. I'll just In government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Do you need the That's question? Not funny. Get closer no. to the mic. No, I know what the question is. Um, stop <laughs> laughing at me. If I know someone and they believe in like some like dumb conspiracy theory, but I'm not gonna say that it's dumb because I support everyone's opinions and there's no wrong opinion. But um, if they believe in something and in my head I'm like, oh, oh no, then obviously I'm not gonna think differently of them. I'm just gonna be like, oh, the, the sh- you, she thinks the Earth is flat. And then we're just gonna leave that, leave it at that. But if it's some like serious conspiracy theory, and they're like, "Yeah, actually, this weekend I am going to the Area Fifty One raid." Like, mm, um. Also, the Area Fifty One thing was such a big deal. Why is it just forgotten about now? Like that was because get in. You can't get into a government like secure like just die. That whole thing was so interesting. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So we all have our first baseline opinions and after listening to our experts we will continue this and discuss what we think now all right thanks for listening to our intro we're gonna wrap it up yeah the end of the we'll see you, you on the other side music. see you on the other side wait what, yeah. what's the, the music? red one? Oh my god Do okay bye guys yeah, that was fun <laughs> Tell me about yourself. Well, my name is Eric Sturgeon, Mr. Sturgeon. Um, uh, I'm assuming you want me to talk about myself from a teaching perspective. Yes, what classes you teach, how okay. you got to your path. Right. Well, um, I started teaching at Rockland High School. It's my first job, um, or should I say career. Um, I've had other jobs. But my first career, um, and I've been here for 21 years now. Um, I got hired in 1999, and uh, yeah, here 21 years later, um, I've taught, I think, nine different subjects. Um, I started out teaching PE, um, and that was because I was hired also to take over the aquatics program. I'm a water polo coach and former swim coach. Okay. Um, and then from there, they found out I had a degree in psychology, and our psychology teacher had to leave. And so as a result, so I got kind of brought in to teach some of the general psych classes. And there was a need for a, uh, a health teacher, and so I have taught health. Um, and with that came driver's education. We used to teach that here in uh, family life. Um, and then I've taught sociology um, computer literacy, world regional geography, AP psychology, and a new course, which I started four years ago, positive psychology. So kind of, kind of been around. 
Um, was psychology your desired career path? Absolutely not. No. Um, no. Um, had no idea, uh, you know, which a lot of you students listening, uh, you think you have an idea of what you want to do, and then come graduation day, you really have no idea what you want to do with your degree. Um, it changes, you know, as we age, our life experiences changes, and as a result, it takes us in different ways. I was actually recruited from Rockland High School, so... Um, I had never even considered education before. I chose a psychology major because it fit with my athletic schedule. I was a um, uh, water polo player in college on a scholarship, and um, in order to maintain my scholarship, I had to keep a certain GPA, but I also had to take classes that meshed well with my practice schedule and game schedule, and psychology seemed to be it. So I went the pathway of psychology per recommendation of my counselor and then uh, ended up graduating first in my class, um, loving it, not really knowing what I wanted to do with it other than the fact I knew I wanted to coach. So I thought maybe I'd get into the field of sports psychology. But in my junior year, I got a phone call from um, the athletic secretary here at the high school. Her name is Cindy Asher. And uh, she had said that, you know, she had heard from another coach in town that uh, uh, I was going to be coming back into the neighborhood and they were looking for a coach and would I be interested? And I said, you know, sure, but I couldn't make it my career because there's not a whole lot of money in coaching. I would have to do something else. And she said, well, there's going to be a lot of teaching positions open up. You know, do you have your teaching credential? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm working in psychology. And so, you know, she, she said, and I first and secondly, I said, well, I'm, I'm a junior you know, I'm not even going to be able to, you know, be there until after I graduate next year. And so she said, well, give us a call. And so a year later, I got another phone call and, um, you know, it was her and same thing. We need a coach, you know, are you interested? And I said, well, yeah. And she's like, well, this is what you need to do. And so I enrolled in a program through San Francisco State University, uh, did my student teaching in Elk Grove um, at Sheldon High School and then uh, prepared myself for Rockland. And so as soon as I got my teaching credential, I made the phone call here, got an interview, and the next thing you know, here I am. Uh, have you found your passion for psychology and teaching since you've been here? Absolutely. It has become a love, um, sort of my, my passion, if you will, um, you know, it is the course that I absolutely love teaching the most. And uh, I think I've had the most validation in teaching psychology. Okay, thank you. Um, we're going to start off with our first topic. And the first question is going to be, why are we so prone to believe conspiracy theories? Well, <clears throat> I think it boils down to human nature. And uh, survival. If you ask any of my students, you know, any question I ask in class in psychology, it usually results in we do it because, you know, it's done for survival purposes. I think conspiracy theories are sort of a natural byproduct of us trying to make sense out of a chaotic world. The brain likes uh, stability. Um, the brain likes order. The brain likes to feel safe. And, you know, it seems like when major conspiracy theories come about, if you go and look at through the course of history, they come during times when society is in crisis. Uh, 
either, you know, there's a depression, um, you know, there's a pandemic, uh, there's a financial crisis, um, there's a terrorist bombing, uh, you know, something big happens to a society and that's where these conspiracy theories seem to be born. Um, and so I think what's happening is that, you know, if our human tendency is to make order out of chaos, then we're going to roll with something that we'll tr we try to make sense of. And usually it's, it's centered around negativity. You know, we're pre-programmed to be somewhat negative. If you think about your dreams, most of them are negative. If you think about our mindset, a lot of it starts off with negativity because it's what's helped us survive. It keeps us from eating strange foods. we got to be skeptical of it. Um, you know, if the water looks cloudy, we're not going to drink it. Um, you know, if that person doesn't look right, we're not going to be friends with that person. So we're very skeptical. And so I think as a result of the skepticism and sort of, um, you know, hunts for uh, somebody that's not going to treat us well, we start looking at chaos by explaining it in ways that make it look evil or like something somebody's out to get us. And so when you look at, you know, all of the conspiracy theories that are happening right now, they sort of all are centered around this idea that somebody is is out to get us or the government is out to control us or something like that. Okay, um you said that we use conspiracy theories to cope with the fact that there is chaos and we want to turn it into order, but what about conspiracy theories makes everything more dangerous than it was before? Well, when you fall into a conspiracy theory mindset, especially when you start, you know, when a lot of people start adhering to the same beliefs or same ideas because they're in the same chaotic situation, and it's usually like people, you know, it's people who are in the same geographical location or people who are in the same financial situation or, or something that has impacted them personally that, you know, it takes maybe a leader or a person in the spotlight to speak up to, and then they gain some followers and it just snowballs from there. So it becomes dangerous because when you get into this, this, this sort of, um, mindset of uh, getting together with large groups of people develops this thing called group think. Um, and it uh, um, sort of fosters our, our already um, created tendencies or biases, if you will. So there's something called a confirmation bias that a lot of us sort of use to defend our actions um, we, we search for things that confirm our beliefs. And so if our beliefs are that there's chaos in the world, somebody's out to get us, and all of a sudden s you hear that this person who's got 6 million followers or whatever saying the same thing, they're confirming your bias, right? And all of a sudden you, you, you start listening more to that person. And then you hear other people talk about it, and they're confirming your bias. And so it just, it, like I said, it snowballs into this large group um, that starts believing in this thing that isn't based in science, uh, but it, it, it sort of makes you feel better because it's confirming your belief system uh, or your natural biases. And so you, you, you know, you go to that group and then it gets dangerous because in that mentality, you have people that say, we need to rise up. We need to fight, you know, in order for us to survive, we need to do this or that storm the Capitol or, you know, 
protest on the courthouse or burn a pl- police precinct down, right, that, which has happened in Portland. Um, and this is all a result of this group think uh, mindset, this, this conformity that occurs. And it almost happens blindly because after the fact, a lot of pe- people are kind of like scratching their heads going, wow, was that me? Did I really do that? Now, there's others that are kind of like, yeah, that was me. I did that, right? But at the end of the day, many of those people who stormed the Capitol, if you ask them, they're kind of like, man, yeah, one thing led to another. We saw a group of people go in and we just became followers and had no idea. But next thing you know, we're holding, you know, these, you know, we're we're storming offices or whatever. It's almost like this blind um, motivation to, to do something where their psychology takes control of them. And then the next thing you know, and you ask me about the, the problems with it, well, these are firefighters. These are police officers. These are um, uh, former members of our, of our um, you know, services. You know, there are people who stormed the Capitol that are wearing, um, you know, their, their uniforms, right? Their company logos. You know, these are husbands. These are fathers, wives, people who have jobs, CEOs. I mean, you name it. Athletes, Olympic athletes, right? Um, and so it becomes dangerous because now you've put, like, let's say that, that, that Olympic swimmer. All of a sudden, it's ruined the reputation of USA Swimming, perhaps. Um, firefighters, right? Firefighters are supposed to be the first and, and you know, first responders are supposed to be a safe, a safe place, if you will. You know, the firefighting organization, cops, right? You would expect the police officers to be the last people to do something like that because they're supposed to protect and serve our, our communities and keep us safe. So these people, you know, um, if they are, if they are, uh, shown to, to have committed a crime, they're gonna you're gonna spend time in federal prison, pay a lot of money. Um, it ruins their families. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of divorces over this. CEOs have lost their job. Firefighters have had their pensions suspended. It, you know, it ruins the the credibility of some organizations. So yeah, it creates a huge problem when you have these sort of actions on conspiracy theories. Got it. And. Um, I'm going to ask you about the Helen Keller conspiracy theory, which is obviously less harmful than all the ones that we've been talking about. But what about that specific conspiracy theory do you think is so impossible for people to believe? Well, before we get there, maybe you want to clue the audience in on what that conspiracy theory is, because some people may not know. Yes. Okay. Um, Social media has made it a trend, kind of, to start broadcasting the fact that Helen Keller... It, like it isn't possible for her to actually be real and have her disabilities and live the life that she did because she did she wrote a book she wrote a book she met all these famous people she somehow could speak she learned words and she could read and write and to like it just doesn't make sense to a lot of people so that's why this conspiracy theory is like people just assuming that because she did these great things that her disabilities were not real and that it just isn't possible for her to live the life that she did with her disabilities. And so I want to know what about that conspiracy theory is just so unbelievable for people that don't have any disabilities. Well, if you can recall, one of the first things that I said was we try to make order out of chaos. If we don't understand it, I mean, who are the people that are, are saying this? They're sighted people. They're able-bodied people, people that don't know what it's like to not have a voice or not be able to see. They have all their faculties or senses about them. So to even consider that 
you know, this can happen and that she was able to express herself in the way that she did just does not make sense to a person that's never experienced it before. And so, you know, they're going to try to make order out of this chaotic idea, you know. Yeah, sure, it makes sense. I mean, Helen Keller became famous. She, you know, got in the spotlight. She met all these famous people, you know. Have you met a lot of famous people? No. Have these people met uh, these people that are spreading the conspiracy theories met a lot of famous people? No. So to some extent, I think they're a little envious. Um, they're trying to explain, you know, they're trying to validate, I guess, their their feelings of maybe less worth or less value because they're not in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, sort of, I don't know what you, what you, what you would call it. Maybe their egos are getting in the way um, of allowing them to see that perhaps there is an ability, right, to hear or to uh, even, you know, uh, see if you're blind. You know, I, I've, I've done a lot of research in, in, in consciousness and sleep and dreams. And one of the one of those things that, that catches you, or one of the things that caught me in school when I was reading about consciousness was that dream, uh, blind people can, can dream in color. And to me, it's kind of like, how is that even possible? Dream in color? I mean, if they've never seen the light of day, if their brain has never seen color, how is it possible that somebody could actually see in color, let alone describe it. And so studies have shown, if you want to go and look at the science, um, that, you know, when a person is dreaming, there are cells in our brain that get activated. And just because a person's eyes don't work doesn't mean that that part of the brain that's responsible for sight doesn't work. And so when you're, when you're dreaming, those cells for colors and shapes and things that, you know, a sighted people would be able to see on a regular basis actually show up in dreams of blind people. And so, if, you know, for these people, if they were to go back and actually look at biology or psychology of deafness or of blindness and look at how people and how biology works or how bones work that can vibrate, that can allow a person to hear, only then can they maybe possibly believe that somebody like Helen Keller could exist. And the science is clear. It's just that you get a lot of uneducated people who can't see outside of themselves making judgments about what they really don't know. Um, along the lines of the people that don't know what they're talking about, they like to broadcast their opinions on social media. And that's why I'm going to ask you, um, how do you think that social media has helped spread the idea of conspiracy theories? Well, what's the purpose of social media? It's to gain respect and recognition, something that people originally don't start out with. So, you know, um, y you're rolling with this idea that you're becoming popular. People are listening to you. And then all of a sudden you start to realize that there's others like you that perhaps are buying into this idea of what you are basing your own beliefs off of because you don't understand it. And the next thing you know, you have all these other people who are starting, you seemingly think, believe the same thing. And it just sort of, you know, you're, you're feeding off one another. The, the broadcaster is feeding off the audience. The audience is feeding off the broadcaster. And it just escalates from there. Um, you know, and the next thing you know, you got this huge group of people who are influenced by this person who, you know, is perceived to be a very important person. When in essence, all they did was say something that sparked maybe the beliefs in the ignorance of these listeners and it just, you know, takes off. And now you have a whole group of people spreading fake news or, or spreading false beliefs. Uh, when the science is clear, 
about, you know, whatever it is that they're refuting. It's just that, you know, they're trying to survive in a state of chaos and they're trying to make sense of the out of stuff that uh, doesn't make sense to them. And finally, last question. Um, how do you think the best way to stop conspiracy theories would work, like to stop the spread of them? Education. I think it all boils down to education. And you, you look at all of our problems. I think if people, A, took a psychology course, um, there's my um, advertisement. <laughs> Uh, if you took a psychology course, if you take a social psychology course, if you take, you know, um, anything uh, that, you know, helps you understand that behavior is very predictable, um, uh, that there is a science behind it, that if you just, you know, sort of uh, uh, expose yourself to it, um, y you might be able to start questioning whether or not what you were brought up into as a belief system is still valid or not. But you have to have an open mind, right? If you're closed-minded, there's no sense in arguing with people who are closed-minded because they're going to fall victim to their biases. And there's not much you can do about it other than, hey, you know, if you're not causing me harm, then, you know, whatever. If you're not causing other people's harm or other people harm, well then, then okay. But as soon as you start creating harm, then it needs to be addressed. But it all boils down to education. Um, I think it, it uh, comes down to being open-minded and, and from a psychological perspective, one of the things that I teach my students is that when you are, are approaching a problem or if you're trying to address behavior, instead of trying to look for things that confirm your beliefs or biases, try to find something that, that disconfirms it or that's, you know, that goes against, try to disprove your theory or hypothesis. That's good science, right? If you can go out there and find something that goes against what you're saying and, and you start to believe in that, that actually, oh, yeah, you know what, that might be true, then you've won the battle. So I think a lot of people try to hunt for things that they believe in instead of hunting for things that, that could prove them wrong. And that, I think that comes with humility and, you know, being a humble person is, is a quality and characteristic where you could admit that you're human, that you're faulty, that you can make errors in judgment and, you know, we live and learn. All right. Welcome to this part of the podcast where we have two students who would like to debate this topic. So if you can just say your name. Hi, I'm Maddie. And what is your side on this topic? I do not think that Helen Keller is real. Okay. I'm Izzy, and um, I think she, I think she was real. She was real. Okay. We'll start with the topic. So we'll start with Maddie. So why do you think this topic is so heavily debated? You know, I feel like it's such for very much govern like um when you read about it in history books, it's empowering and it's so um you know important to history it's you know like a monumental moment everybody is like oh my gosh you know um you know like if she can do if she can like learn how to speak and write and you know write a book and you know she's deaf and blind like that's like i can do anything but um what was the question <laughs> why do you why do you <laughs> that's okay why do you think it's so heavily debated um I feel like it's, um, I don't even know how to answer that. Um, 
I think it's like it's just it's so close to impossible. That makes sense. So it's it's some people can find it unbelievable. Um, I actually didn't know it was heavily debated. So, um, but if it is, it's probably yeah, probably because it's like it's just really like crazy that it did like happen. But I mean, it makes sense like that. It's real. Like she got sick when she was little, and then like something happened, and she lost her sight and her hearing, and then she had to learn like braille and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. To what extent do you think Helen Keller's story is true? And do you truly think she was blind and deaf and did all the accomplish- accomplishments she had? Um, You know, I think there's so many ways I can, like, direct my statement to. But she could well be deaf and not blind or blind and not deaf. Um, You know, but... You know, being both, I mean, I just, I can't see it. And, you know, I feel like it's the 1800s, you know, it's so hard to just live like as a normal human being, but to be blind and deaf, I mean, it's so far. It's, you know, if it were to happen like right now in 2021, I mean, it would be believable because we have so much technology and like we have so much knowledge about this type of stuff. But in the 1800s, I just don't think that, someone would have the patience to put that much effort into somebody who is deaf and blind. What was the question again? (laughs) Uh, To what extent do you think Helen Keller's story is true? Oh, well, okay. I don't really know about her accomplishments. I just remember reading like an I who was Helen Keller book in like elementary school. But um, like there's a chance that there's like types of blind where it's like just really blurry for people. So I don't know if she was that, but I like I think that it was possible for her to be, like, fully blind and fully deaf and just have someone, like, help her out. And, like, like I think if the, she had an aide, like, full-time, I just, like, I could see how it's possible. Okay. Okay. And do you think that Helen Keller's story deserves to be as, in air quotes, inspirational as it is? You know, I think it, even if it isn't real, it is definitely inspiring because it's, like, you know, that's so... Hard. it's so hard to live like that I could imagine so it is like it's very inspiring where to the point where oh if I wanted to do anything I could you know like the sky is truly the limit because if Helen Keller was real she was able to live through that and able to almost essentially have a normal life uh being deaf and blind so that's what I think um was the question again? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. Do you think that Helen Keller's story deserves to be as, in air quotes, inspirational as it is? Oh yeah, I do. Like it's just like a like this epitome of like perseverance. Like she could have easily just like given up, and she found ways to like make her life positive, and she just persevered when like obviously like there's so much going wrong, but she was able to push through that and like learn all these things and just try her hardest. Okay, do you think there could have been many other factors to why she was so famous, not just because she was blind and deaf during the time that she was? No. <laughs> I mean, I if, if she was, she was, if she was, if she was a normal person, you know, not deaf, not blind, um, she would have to write a really good book to, you know, get where she is. Because I feel like, you know, deaf and blind like that's not that's never heard of before like you could be deaf and you could be blind but being both I'm like that's new and you know in the 1800s that was like whoa but I mean she would have to I mean I know she 
wrote a book and you know if she did write that book you know hearing and being able to see I mean I don't I it would have to be a really good book I also don't think like she was really famous for like any other reason like it's I mean it's pretty crazy on its own to be both blind and deaf and like still be able to like persevere and not just like sit on the couch so I think like that's that's a story on its own that's like powerful enough there she didn't really need and she got like sick when she was little so it's not like she was like some prodigy like talented five-year-old like she wasn't really anything special she was just a toddler so it's not like she was famous even then yeah so she got sick at the age of 19 months and she had a illness that left her blind and deaf well so. that was the interesting thing we couldn't find a, a source that like stuck to like that age we oh. couldn't we, we couldn't find a source that like Oh, because some said 19 months, some said she was two years old, some said she was 15 months. Is there a possibility that's, like, an ongoing sickness? Like, it per- like it progressively got worse? I like, think so. Like, I, it started, like, getting blurry, and then it's, like, fully black out I do something. believe she got scarlet fever. Yeah. And that was that was her reason. So I think it could have progressively gotten worse. That's probably why they couldn't find an age, because, like, probably started when she was younger, and then as it got older. That, that actually would make sense. Okay, last question. Uh, you kind of touched on this earlier, Maddie. If Helen Keller was born today, do you think her story would gain as much traction as it did in the early 1900s? A hundred percent. I feel like, you know, like with the deaf community and um, the blind community, like that would be, she would be such a good advocate for them. Um, If, you know, that was possible to be deaf and blind at the same time, I feel like they would be, she'd be a really good spokesperson for those groups and you know i mean the same thing goes like being deaf and blind like that's so i I don't want to say cool but at the same time it is like that's so unique and so um just interesting to think about um i think that like her story will be big but also with the technology that we have today like it's such a like i feel like there would be ways like there's hearing aids that can help people like not like hear little like little things instead of nothing at all or like surgeries that people have to make their eyesight better so I don't know if there was a way to like kind of reverse or make it less severe and in that case her story probably wouldn't be as famous but like if there was nothing that she could do and she was just deaf and blind I think her story would still be like really really well known thanks you guys is there any like closing statements that you guys want to say um I don't think so any any opinions have changed or we're still solid on our on our stances i think i'm still solid yeah me too (laughs) all right well we'll cut to the next segment thank you guys thank you so random because when i first i mean when you guys contacted me i I was like okay i gotta look into this conspiracy theory because i hadn't heard it i have tiktok but i hadn't seen that so i read a little bit about it um and it's just, I mean, the stuff that spreads on TikTok is wild. So it's funny that you came up with it on your own, you know, like without seeing the conspiracy first. Yeah, I I mean, I just haven't, I haven't had TikTok since May because um kind of took a toll on my mental health and stuff. So, so it just wasn't for me. And I didn't like how much time I was spending. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That thing in the middle, too. Tightens it. Yeah, okay. tightens the loosens. But I don't, I don't know. And my mom, um, she's a teacher, so okay. I'm all, I'm always in her room, and there's like books on Helen Keller, and I'm like, no, <laughs> like I just was like, oh, this is weird. Like personally, I think 
she was blind, but I don't think she was fully deaf. Mm. So, okay. What do you think? I mean, I would assume that you're you would just think. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done extensive research on her. Obviously, I, I probably have about the same knowledge as most kind of people who go through school and realize, you know, learn about her when you're young in elementary school and you just hear all the stories and the triumph, you know, ab- around her story, I think is what is so, you know, the legacy and like it, the, the timelessness of it. Um, and so you just you just sort of take it as fact, you yeah. know, because it's been embedded for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I have never, I haven't done any deep, mm-hmm. I mean, other than what you sent me, I did yeah. look at those sources and I was like, reading up again, kind of refreshing on her biography and her story and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I you would have to probably find out had she, if she had gotten, which I would imagine she would have gotten medical testing done that, that proved her disabilities, mm-hmm. you know, like especially the deaf one, Yeah, if that's what you're questioning, you mm-hmm. know, because they could definitely do those hearing yeah. tests and things, but I guess she could have faked it. Yeah. Theoretically, if that was her goal, you know, but I don't know. So I, I believe it. I believe that she was fun. Yeah, yeah. Had those had those disabilities, but I don't know. So did you want to get started or? Sure. So we'll kind of we can take that beginning part. But so <laughs> you you are a you do U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Um, do you just U.S. or do you do a push or I do a push too. OK. Yeah. How long have you been working at Rockland? I've been working, this is like, I got hired in the fall of 2011, so I guess, you know, we're going on 10 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Have Was this like the first school you taught at? Or yeah, this is my first full-time job. I, I did a lot of subbing and long-term subbed. I subbed at Del Oro and stuff, and Whitney, uh, but this was my first full-time position. Mm-hmm. So... Have you always, and you've always done history? Yeah, I majored, I I went to Cal Poly, and I majored in social science, which is kind of like a blending of a few different disciplines, like uh, history, geography, sociology, anthropology, um, and so it's kind of a wide, broad range of social sciences. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool, I really liked it, and then, and I minored in history, or double minored in history and geography, because I I knew I was probably by the mid middle of college, I had sort of decided I was probably going to be a history teacher. So then I wanted to focus a little more. So, and then I got my teaching credential after that. And, and I got my master's uh, after that because I wasn't able to get a full-time job for a bit, a couple years and I was subbing. And so I had my master's in curriculum and instruction. So you kind of, you know, you've always then had to use sources and you're always reading some firsthand or secondhand mm-hmm. source. And that was kind of, I mean, that's what history is, is mm-hmm. reading other people's points. Mm-hmm. What have you like, what have you realized or what do you look for when you are looking for a good source? Well, um, it kind of depends on what the source is. So if it's a primary source, that like, for example, a letter from Helen Keller or you know, any sort of a speech or a firsthand source, you just have to take it for what it is and you have to uh, gather as much evidence around 
that person, you know, whatever you can find out about them as a, you know, their socioeconomic status, their title, their position in society, all those things. Um, and that is what is all you can really base your judgment on uh, in terms of the biases that they may or may not have. So for primary sources, that's all you can kind of do. Um, you can corroborate stuff, you know, that they say with with other um, sources from that same time period and context, you know. Um, but when it comes to secondary sources like uh, a website or, you know, a book about of an event or um, any of those types of, you know, newspapers and things like that and articles, uh, for me it's more about the credibility of the organization. You know, I, I immediately look at their... I mean, there's a few that we all know, you know, that are just that you automatically, and as teachers that we recognize are, are well-respected, scholarly, you know, they have, um, they're research-based and things like that. And, and on websites, for example, you can always go down to the bottom and like mm-hmm. go digging a little bit to the, about this organization. And, and then that's where you can go a little deeper. And we actually do this in class especially in, in regular U.S., we try to give them a chance to practice that identifying bias and stuff, especially right now because it's so mm-hmm. hard to know what to trust. Yeah. Um, and so then once you have that source, whether it's an author um, or um, an organization, you can then kind of go digging on them. You know, what other things have they published? What is their record um, do they tend to lean one way or the other politically? Do they post things on social media that that show kind of where they stand or who they support, um, whether it's peop- you know politicians or issues, things like that? So it's kind of taking that deeper dive into who they are per- as a person, an author, or if it's an organization. Sometimes you can find... Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of other good there's a, uh, other sources out there that actually evaluate sources mm-hmm. too, you know, like yeah. that rate them on where they lean, progressive, yeah. conservative, that kind of stuff. So, so one of those websites, as I know, a lot of teachers, like as you said, they have very trusted sources. A lot of times, like I remember, National Geographic is a really trusted source, mm-hmm. um, and I know that Wikipedia seems to get a bad rap Mm. why is it a no for you i i love wikipedia you love it yeah no i tell my kids all the time to go to wikipedia i just i don't usually allow them to use that as a source that they cite they have to cite the sources at the bottom so i tell them that's a jumping off point right Mm. so if you just want a quick what is this what happened overview that's wikipedia and because it is it is crowdsourced um my understanding and i'm not an expert in in this stuff, I will say, but is that it is pretty well managed and regulated. Okay. Um, so I tell my kids to go there to start. Um, and then, you know, if you want to find more credible ones, go down to their sources because those are more of like, you know, scholarly articles or historical sources that they can, that they referenced. So that's, that's what I say about Wikipedia. And like, so one of my sources for doing research on Helen Keller is the American Foundation for the Blind. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of 
um, her just, you know, all about her. And what do I, let's say like, I really trust this source mm-hmm. because I mean, American foundation for the blind, but mm-hmm. if I can't really find where, what, like, what do I do if I can't find where their like information is from? Yeah. I mean, that's, that is kind of an issue. They, they should be citing their sources. Um, you know, most, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think in terms of like that organization. Um, because I mean, I I would be like, yeah, they probably know all about her because she worked with them and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that I feel like that's something a lot of students run into a lot. Mm-hmm. Is okay, I trust this source, but like I don't even know who wrote it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, that's a very good point i mean there is so much information on the internet now that is you know posted on these legitimate credible organization websites and if they're not citing their sources i'm not sure if i even know where to tell you to go um i would i'm surprised did you dig on there and see if they had any citations they based for at least for biography they don't like they have an about us page but Mm -hmm. it's just kind of this like it's really hard to find any name like if I'm here it's like about us but when I go to leadership and staff like they just kind of have these people and the more you go into them you're like okay this person does technology this person does research and like let's say I go into the director of research is just PhD but it's not anywhere on each specific document. Yeah, so like on the the Helen Keller page that you read. Yeah, it's at just the very bottom there's no, no. Hmm. It's interesting. It's just yeah. weird cuz like she, you know she seems to be a pretty I mean she's a PhD, Penny Rosebloom, director mm-hmm. of research like okay, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That would actually be something interesting. I wonder if for the sake of your research is to like reach out to someone like that. And and just or even maybe I don't know if heard or probably her and say send an email like I'm doing a project on sourcing and I I'm really interested in your your page write up about Helen Keller and I'm, yeah. I'd love to know where you got that information you know mm-hmm. can you cite some of your references I'm just just to sort of see I've never thought of that that's actually a really I want to maybe I should do that because yeah. you know you can contact them yeah why not I mean what are they gonna say because that's a perfect like um angle for you to take in this project to say like all right there's so many websites with just blanketed information and if they're not citing it how do I know where it's actually coming from the other thing too I guess I would say to that is just corroborating it right so Mm -hmm. like when I went on to looked at your sources that you sent me I kept reading the same thing yeah I read each one you know and I'm like okay these are all clearly similar narrative they they almost have the same facts the same story so that would be and but then it kind of starts to feel like common knowledge you know yeah that's what I've Mm -hmm. what I when I was really getting into this um all her research she you know she was 19 months old when she got an illness and I Mm -hmm. think it was this and then she Mm -hmm. met Annie and she learned water and she went to school but Mm -hmm. one thing that I think is weird is they basically they say that she's been that she traveled to 39 countries mm-hmm. but 
okay, she went to 39 countries. And usually just someone who's skimming is like, wow, she went to 39 countries. That's crazy. But mm-hmm. I was like, what countries? Mm-hmm. There are no, there's only one photo of her like meeting JFK and with Mark Twain. And then like, I know photos weren't that big in early 1900s. They weren't that easy, but like, there are no, there's nowhere that says which countries. It's like US, Asia. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's one of those things that I think as soon as you go a little deeper than surface level, it's been hard to find info. Right. So the next thing you would do is go into the archives, mm-hmm. right? So like in um, she in her foundation that she has, I, I was looking at that website. I think they have, I, I don't know if you can access it all online or I'm sure you probably can do most of it, but that would be where you would go to the deepest point to see yeah. if she has... You know, and again, you might want it if from your perspective, taking it from a grain of salt, it's like, all right, these are her diary entries. These are her her stories. But but maybe her companions also wrote documentation of where they were. And maybe there's photos in those archives and things like that. So that's what the purpose of those archive Mm -hmm. things are like, you know, at universities and all these different libraries. And you can literally go to the ultimate original source yeah where there's maybe no article written about all the places she went or there weren't photos maybe taken but maybe she wrote about it in her journal or or maybe there are photos in the archive that just haven't really been widely published they're Mm -hmm. personal photos like family photos stuff like that yeah that is something that happened was they had this one photo that when they went to they went somewhere down uh, south, and they had, like, one photo of her. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm looking at this, they have press clippings, and mm-hmm. they have them in each folder. Okay. But, like, they're all, they're int- this is interesting, because it's, like, about, like, about her life. This is, okay, this is so crazy. This was not something I had found, but it. It has, like, the whole story. Like, so when she visited some place and there was a news report about it? Yeah, because <coughs> in the 60s is when she w- really was at her peak of popularity because mm-hmm. she met JFK and she went, that's when she traveled. And, mm-hmm. okay, this is so interesting. I guess I need to look yeah. more those because there are so dig many. deep. But so, it, yeah. just side note, just reminded me of a project I worked on at Cal Poly when I was, um, I worked for on campus and we I worked for the I don't even know what it's called it's called it's called like advancement programs which means nothing to you but essentially they helped to they worked to get donations from alumni Mm -hmm. because that's how a lot of universities survive (laughs) lots of donations from wealthy donors and alumni and so they plan events and they hold like you know, anniversary things, and they invite alumni back and keep them happy, and then they pay pay the sc- for the school. So we had planned to do a big memorial because I don't know a famous event that happened at Cal Poly in 1961 was a there was a plane crash, and like the whole football team died. They were wow. on they were on they were traveling to a a game, and the plane crashed. So we were planning a big memorial event. Uh, it was 1961 when the crash happened. And so most of them were still alive. They mm-hmm. were just, this was, you know, early t- mid-2000s, 2005-ish. 
they were older, but they we were going to build a memorial right by the stadium and have a big ceremony and invite them back. So my job was to go into the library archives. Oh my gosh! And locate, make sure I knew every player, every you know everyone that was on the the Team. plane, everyone that was related to them, every connection to them, and then I had I had to sort of track them down. So I was looking up newspaper clippings, all those things. So I actually dug in the archives and I have some experience with that. So it was kind of cool. That's how historians do Do what we do. I mean, really like that's how you put the stories together. The narrative of what happened is through all those things, the news clippings, the photos, the diaries. And then, and then if you have enough, you can, you get the picture of Mm -hmm. what happened. So I like Knew the whole story of what happened on that uh, crash and and the aftermath of it and all those things. And so that is where you are able to really validate and corroborate the information that is out there. You know, because people can tell stories and people can make internet posts and blogs and whatever. But where the facts come from, you just have to go back as close to the source as you can. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming in today. Yeah, of course. That was fun. Yes. And we got three questions today. First one will be, what did we learn from our interview with Mr. Sturgeon? We're going to start with Allie. I'll go first. Uh, Sturgeon, I don't know. It really brought light on like how badly a conspiracy theory can snowball into something, something bigger. I didn't think that it could something so small like believing like oh that Helen Keller was wasn't deaf I didn't know that could potentially lead you down a road that could like make you think that birds aren't real or (laughs) the earth is flat or anything like that um I agree with Ali on that he definitely he made it clear that all conspiracies are dangerous which I didn't really think about because with this little conspiracy of Helen Keller like I again could not imagine it like snowballing into something major Blaney. i kind of need the microphone okay so the one thing that i learned from him is he literally gave us an answer as to why we believe in conspiracy theories and he said that the only thing that is so like commonly shared between us is that all of us try to make order out of chaos. And the way that we make order out of chaos is to come up with some theory that makes something more believable instead of just trusting another like authority, like the government. We want to come up with the reason that makes it more believable. And that's what I think is really crazy about like all of her brains. I was going to say the same thing because like a lot of times it's just so interesting that when we don't like an answer we try to make another answer we like and feel is more factual even if it's not like I just I know I feel like I've always done that and I've always been like because some people are like oh it's just me being hopeful but like no it is it's literally you making a conspiracy out of something it's always very big on denying what we've been told in order to find a new answer that you like better than what you were told what did you learn from Sturgeon, Ian? Um, well, he had a lot to say. Um, I definitely liked the snowball analogy that he gave, where it's really it's a slippery slope. When you, Once you start going down, you'll start indulging these more odd, I guess, odd, um, dangerous, or I, I guess you could say bigger, bigger conspiracy theories. And it can start with anything. Just like, I guess, addiction would be a good example. 
It is an addiction. I think conspiracies are t- can be classified as an addiction. Like people, you know, like people on TikTok who are like, their whole page is just, oh, look at this weird conspiracy. Like, that's an addiction. Yeah, and some people just, I don't want to do that classic teenager thing. It's like, why well, you make it you're so much of your personality? But like, they do that. All right. Our second question is our Gillette interview. Allie, what did you learn from the Gillette interview? I mean, I took her class. I took, I've been taking AP histories for two years and I, they kind of push in your heads that primary, primary source documents are the only, like the best thing you can trust. So I, I don't know. I think she really did a good job of um, kind of reinstating that into kids' heads because it's true. The primary source documents are the one thing you can trust. Most, mo- I'd say 99.9% of the times. Okay, so the one thing that I literally did not realize until I listened to this interview was how hard it is to find documents sometimes, especially with the internet nowadays. Like, some things are just so easy. Like, you just ask for something on Google and it pops up right there. But she actually had to search for real proof and evidence of some documents, and I really didn't realize that it was that hard to find just because everything is, like, at the click of a button now. And I thought that that was crazy, and, like, People have to actually put in effort and not be lazy if they want real cold, hard evidence about something. And that was like the most interesting thing I thought. I agree with that too, because a lot of the times we just are like, oh, I heard this happen. So we just, we go on the internet, search something up, first source, or the even the box on Google, you just look in the box. But it takes time and effort to get real facts. So I found that interesting. Thank you. I mean, I interviewed Gillette, but what I really liked about and what I really liked learning from her point of view is even if it's not totally source related, like Wikipedia is one of the best sources you can use. I think that's super weird how teachers are like, like, obviously you need to be like, all right, like it says a fact, like when I was looking at Helen Keller, it'd be like, and she lived in Tuscany, Alabama. And then it had this little, in like comma, it said one. And then you would go to the bottom and you would find one. And then that was like the source. So I think like for me, I'm like, oh, I can use Wikipedia. I just need to go to their source. Yeah, Wikipedia does a good job of uh, collectivizing. I think that's the word, collectivizing sources. And they summarize it really. And it may be a very long summary. Like if you ever go to a Wikipedia page about something specific, it is very long. And, of course, at the bottom they have their sources listed, and they do a good job of kind of wrangling all that information from the Internet and then putting it in front of you. And then even if you're like, I don't trust what Wikipedia is telling me, just scroll down and check out their sources. All right, and I'm pretty sure our third question was, has our opinion changed at all? What have we learned, and has it affected how we think? Allie? Um, I mean, my initial like response to the Helen Keller thing, I don't think it's changed much. I still, th- I still stand with, like, it was kind of ingrained in my brain when I was a kid, but there is still room for maybe, maybe. That's that's kind of my initial thing. Like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But I do think that, especially, I don't know, Gillette's really hit me. That, like, you you ha- you can only trust these, like, people who were there. Like, that was kind of my, uh, my, my big eye-opener. Yeah, I don't really think my opinion on the initial Helen Keller conspiracy has changed. Which one was your opinion, by the way? You said she is blind and deaf, or she, or she was blind and deaf, or she wasn't. I don't think that she was blind and deaf. I agree with you that she definitely could have been blind, but there's a possibility she wasn't fully deaf either. But my like 
opinion on conspiracies for after listening listening to both interviews has definitely like altered i guess with the primary sources and sturgeon telling us how uh conspiracies all conspiracies are harmful and can lead to bigger things even if you think it's just as simple as not thinking helen keller is blind and deaf my opinion after listening to sturgeon because i got to sit there and interview him um i'm starting to sway more towards the fact that she actually was blind and deaf only because he is talking about how we make like order out of some chaos and to me initially hearing about that i was like there's no way but as i start to like listen more i don't know what it's like to have one of my um senses like gone like i don't know what that's like so i can't relate to the fact that it is possible because i don't like i haven't actually experienced it myself so like i think that in my head i was kind of trying to make like again like order out of the chaos i was trying to be like there's no way because of this and this and i'm starting to think that there actually is a way Go ahead. Just saying something. As someone who has, you know, lost a majority of one of their senses, um, I'm, I'm deaf. I have a majority hearing loss. Um, I definitely think that there is a way that she could have overcame because, I don't, I don't know, it just seems like if you're, ha- especially because I've had it since I was, you know, a small child, I definitely think that there is a way that she could have adapted and overcame just from personal experience. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it's like losing two senses. I think... I'm kind of, I think I've always known Helen Keller. Like, I like to be like, oh, I like you said, I like to make order out of chaos. Like, I haven't lost those senses. I can hear, I can see. But I think, like, like when I'm like, oh, Helen Keller could probably hear a little bit. I just think it would be, like, wouldn't it be so cool if, like, the whole, wouldn't be, wouldn't be cool. But if the whole thing was, like, just a cover-up. Like, because I was talking to Gillette and she was like, oh, well, you know, she could, how could she have lied on those tests? And it's like, what if the doctors lied with her? What if they were like, hey, I give you a hundred, I don't know how much hundred dollars was in 1800s, but like, I give you this money. You say my kid's deaf. I make all this money off it. But I think I know, I really know like internally Helen Keller was blind and deaf. So I think I've changed my opinion more on that and really like being content with that idea. And also think i've become more aware of how not evil but evil conspiracy theories can be as you guys like as we keep referring to the snowball effect i think that they can become a really big issue really fast especially in covid covid is one of the biggest conspiracies it's not a conspiracy but it sparks conspiracies because like i know someone and we're like oh yeah you know because it's airborne so you can't have your mask like blah 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 and she's like it's not airborne who's telling you that but it's like so all these people believe all these different things so i just i think i have to be more careful about what i believe and who i listen to interesting um what about you ian well my takeaway is i wasn't my eyes weren't really opened to the even concept or perception that helen keller wasn't what we were um thought to believe and i still don't know there's i'm sure there's a lot more information out there to be found and of course, the likeliness of us ever finding out the actual truth is probably well. If if we if what we were taught isn't the truth, it'll take forever to us to actually find out what is. But I will keep my eyes open until then. I guess in the context of changing my ideas, um, I do think that she was blind and deaf, but I don't think it's that simple. 
feel like there is more to the story. Um, I wanted to add something on to what Julia was saying, how not, again, not it would be cool if everyone was faking, but the whole thing with conspiracies is the what if like what if they were this was all a lie and they were just like oh let's get some attention maybe they needed money maybe they were just like oh free time i don't know but i feel like that's the whole like the whole point of conspiracies the whole point is the what if factor i don't think i've thought about i think that's something i wasn't really thinking about till you just said it now like conspiracies aren't always because people don't trust the higher power or trust a person it's because like 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 um surgeon was saying like we always like we're always trying to change things like people are always trying to like you know make that order so sometimes when something seems chaotic like wouldn't it be cool if it was just this wouldn't it be cool if all the birds were like drone like drones wouldn't that be so cool what if it wouldn't it be so cool if michael jackson was still alive like it's not always like they're covering it up because the economy oh it's like it's like oh that'd be kind of that'd be kind of cool yeah exactly and i feel like that's how they start people are like wondering oh i wonder if michael jackson is still alive like what if he still was and then it's like spirals into conspiracies that start up on social media tiktok like i just think Yeah. The question (laughs) of what if always starts it. Exactly.